As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. This week we're reacting to the tepid draw against Tottenham, looking ahead to the midweek Champions League game in Seville and next weekend's matchup with Leeds. We'll answer your questions and look back on a great win in the Youth Cup. Available for free wherever you get your pods and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Out of Cobham. Yes, hello listener, Matt Davis-Adams here, ready to talk you through another week in the life of Chelsea Football Club. I can't slash won't do it alone though, so lucky for me, I'm joined by the Athletics' three wise men as regards Chelsea at least. As Dominic Fifield is here, hi Dom. Hey Matt, how you doing? Uh, Liam Toomey of course is with us, hi Liam. Hello. And it wouldn't be a straight out of Cobham without Simon Johnson, how you doing Simon? I'm well, how are you? I'm all right. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, Before we get to the Spurs match itself, it was, of course, Roman Abramovich's 1,000th game as Chelsea owner. And over the weekend, the guys released a fascinating long read on Roman's rule. Um, Dom, tell us a little bit about the piece and what went into it. Well, it's about the the effect that Roman Abramovich's input at Chelsea and purchase of Chelsea had on the English footballing landscape, really. Wider implications than than Chelsea alone, but you know the disruption it caused to Arsenal, who were champions and unbeaten in his first season in Abramovich's first season in English football, uh, to how Manchester United, the, the dominant force of the era, really um, reacted, and to how it how how Abramovich's ownership really changed the nature of football ownership in this country, and 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 sort of hurried the the more traditional owners like Sir John Hall and Doug Ellis, etc., out of the game, simply could not compete financially with the, the, the might of uh, of the Russian oligarch and, and, and the type of, of people that came in, subsequently foreign owners, um, recognising there was an opportunity here, largely because uh, because Abramovich had shown them there was an opportunity there. Abramovich was the first and he, he set the tone and others followed. Yeah, even by the athletic standards, this is must-read stuff, so do check it out if you haven't yet. Elsewhere, Chelsea boss Frank Lampard spoke exclusively to our own Alan Shearer ahead of the game and, amongst a host of other things, revealed what his first impressions of Roman were like. Yeah, I mean, my, my first memory of, of Roman in, in the flesh was him flying into Heathrow, holding a meeting as the helicopter was just kind of calming itself down. We all stood there. It was quite surreal, but... His first impression was, well, we need to improve the training ground. He said it via a translator. 
um, and straight away, I really he he up. said that on on he said yeah. that on London, did he straight yeah. away? Yeah, wow. we need to improve this straight at face value, and I remember it because I thought, well, okay, standards instantly are going to go through the roof, and they did signings. And, that, and we, we signed big players in the first year and there was obviously an element of fear. I've spoken about it. A lot of us younger players, what does this mean for us? And, and a few of us you know, managed to stay in the game and, and, and all levels rose around us and, and it was around the most successful patch in the club's history. We, we couldn't do it with the owner. I just did my programme notes this morning and without a doubt, we couldn't have achieved what we achieved with him first and foremost for every other individual involved. His input from then all along the way, training ground, trophies, building the squad, capital input into the club, well-brand. You know, we used to travel when I first got to Chelsea to America. And we, we weren't massive news. Now, of course, the Premier League has moved in that direction at the same time. But the club moved in that direction because of his input, first and foremost, and then other people working below that. So, thousandth game and, and so much thanks goes from me and, and we'll do from from all Chelsea fans. Um, Simon, it is something that, that players from the pre-Abramovich era talk about a lot, that that old training ground at Harlington wasn't really fit for purpose. And it? it was a bit of a shock for Abramovich when he first set eyes on it. It was a bit of a shock for me, to be honest, when I, <laughs> when I first went down there as, as a journalist. You're sort of thinking you're going to rock up to state-of-the-art facilities and it's you know, you, you're watching World Cup winners like Marcel Desailly being kicked out the dressing room because a, a student from Imperial College is, uh, has turned up to use the same facilities. Of course, Chelsea used the same site that Imperial College actually used. So um, it, it wasn't great. Um, and that's why Chelsea purposefully, when, when they were signing players at the time, would take them to Stamford Bridge uh, during the negotiation process um, rather than the training ground. Um, I think Frank LeBeouf actually uh, once said that um, if he'd been taken to the training ground first, then uh, he wouldn't have signed. So, yeah, the facilities were, were very basic and, and that's why it was one of the first things Roman Abramovich decided to, to change, to upgrade, to, to get the site at Cobham because for, for Chelsea to become a, a top club, they needed top facilities and uh, they certainly didn't have those. Well, Lampard also spoke about his relationship with the Chelsea owner today. Yeah, I, I really respect the fact that he doesn't speak. I know some people could ask questions of that, but I, I get that. And I understand. I think once you start speaking, people want more and you maybe get bored on things. He just doesn't want to. That's fine. It's his prerogative. And when he first came to the club in the earlier years, he was very visible in the training, uh, training ground occasionally after games. And now, obviously, that has changed. And I think that's just maybe natural in how you know his life has moved as well as the club. And, and in terms of when I came back to the club, no, I deal with Marina and the one that contacted Derby myself um, to make that happen. I saw uh, Roman on uh, pre-season last year when we played in Salzburg uh, in a pre-season game. Uh, and he came in and it was very big smiles and uh, not cuddles, but welcomes and handshakes. And, uh, and from then on, I haven't had a close, close relationship with him, albeit I would report back on my thoughts and on games and where I see us and where I see us moving forward consistently through Marina. And, and I'm very happy with that. A lot of people, it's, it's very much a, a media question. A lot of the media want to know what is that relationship really like? And I would say mm. it's, it's close without being practically close day to day or week to week. But I'm happy with that. I feel, I feel the support from afar at the minute. And I know that if we're doing well and if we're progressing in the right, right way, I speak with Marina a lot. I know I've got Peter Check with me there as well. Um, and, I, and I feel like I know where the club wants to go. I just have to deliver. And that's just top-end football, no matter who the owner. 
But you still got that relationship with him because I mean, I hope you, I hope you don't mind me saying him when we we're in the World Cup together. It was you that texted him for us to go and see if we can go and play on his on his golf course. I mean, he got yeah. back to you within he got back to you within two or three minutes and said absolutely no problem. So you, you must you must have that great a great relationship with him. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if I told you it was him. It was definitely someone around him at the time. I must have been telling I just a quick what's that. It wasn't quite that way. But, <laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, but what I will say, I, I speak with Eugene, I've got good contact with, who is, works very closely alongside Roman, and I've got Marina, obviously. But that's one of the things with um, the owner, and I think whether I was at the club or not, I do feel, and I know he's had consistent relationships with managers that have gone on and left the club, who maybe he sacked, um, and I think he, he certainly appreciates the work that people do for his club and he's a man that gets things done. I don't think you get in his position um, without yeah. doing that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the relationship's very straight. It's very cut and dried. And uh, if, I'm, if I'm commenting on how I think we're playing or how we're performing, I, I try not to beat around the bush. I think when you're dealing with a, of a man at that level, I think straightness, whether good or bad, is probably the best policy. I feel that. Liam, this is something that we, we've spoken about on the pod previously and it came up again the recent trip to Krasnodar when, when Abramovich was in attendance and, and didn't speak to Lampard. It seems that it, it's not really that big of a deal because not many people in the club do have regular contact with the owner at the moment. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, the person that he talks to daily is Marina Granovskaya. She's the one who handles the day-to-day running of Chelsea, particularly on the football side. Um, and you could tell from from Lampard's interview with with Shearer that he's very comfortable with that dynamic. He's got a good relationship with Granovskaya. Um, it's clearly been very productive, particularly in the in the transfer window. And he's comfortable not having that much frequent contact with Abramovich. And I think part of that is because he's he's got such a long standing relationship with him. Um, you know, dating back more than 15 years that I think he's comfortable that if he's just communicating with him on text about about games every now and then, that things are not going to be lost in translation because there's a degree of familiarity there that there wouldn't be with an ordinary Chelsea manager. Um, so I, I, I don't think he sees anything to worry about and um, and the way things are going, there, there really isn't anything to worry about. Well, remember to celebrate Black Friday week. It's still just £1 a month for a full 12 months of access to The Athletic. You can cancel at any time so you can access all of The Athletic all year long, including our podcast ad-free. We'll bring you unrivaled Chelsea coverage for an unbeatable price and we won't be running a better deal anytime soon. This offer runs until Friday the 4th of December, so don't miss out. Go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod. That's theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod and pay just £1 a month for 12 months. This offer is for new subscribers only. Okay, let's get to the Spurs game. They didn't play football. One thing is defend well, but try to win the game and play some football. Another thing is to defend and defend and defend and kick the ball away, fall down, wait for the medical department. I would have been frustrated if I'd been a supporter who paid £50 to watch this game because Spurs came to defend. Jose Mourinho there on Tottenham after a 0-0 draw at Stamford Bridge in 2004. Um, Liam, the, the bus has done a three-point turn. That that was a really dull game. It really did feel like a game that had quantum leaped um, from that first Mourinho era. And maybe Premier League football has come all the way back around to him. I don't know. Uh, look, Judging by Tottenham's position in the league, maybe that's the case. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a thriller, was it? Um, Tottenham came with a very clear game plan, sit deep, low block, defend narrowly, force Chelsea down the down the wings. And I think, to be fair, Chelsea were quite happy to go down the wings because 
with with Ziyech and, and James, particularly on that right-hand side. They've got a lot of joy in recent weeks from sending in lots of precise crosses, but Tottenham were very well prepared for that um, and they largely dealt with it pretty well. I mean, Tammy Abraham had a couple of good chances. I think probably James' two best deliveries um, Abraham should have done a lot better with and arguably Olivier Giroud would have done a lot better with. But overall, Tottenham managed to keep Chelsea at arm's length. They didn't carry any real threat of their own until the final five minutes of of the game when both teams presented each other with very good chances uh, to maybe change the story. But it it was a game that felt, I think, as early as half-time that it was probably going to end nil-nil unless there was a moment of magic or a horrendous mistake by one team or the other. It was just Mourinho had set the tone and Lampard didn't want to risk too much um, by going for the game naively, sending his fullbacks forward and getting caught on the counter. So it was, I think in the end, you end up with the result that neither team was too put out by. Yeah, Simon, you, you were on hand at Stamford Bridge for the Athletic. Interested in what the kind of atmosphere and mood was on the Chelsea bench. Were they frustrated at how Tottenham were approaching in Chelsea's failure to break them down or was there kind of an acceptance that actually this wasn't a bad result for either team? I think they were frustrated at the uh, the amount of appealing, the vociferous appealing that was going on, um, from not just from the Tottenham dugout, but from all the sort of backroom staff and squad members that were also in the stand. Um, it was very noticeable just how vocal um, Spurs' contingent were um, throughout the 90 minutes. Any kind of 50-50, any kind of slight slight challenge that Chelsea players did that Tottenham made the most of. It was a classic away European performance. I think that got under the skin. I mean, I, the piece I actually wrote about the game is is this Lampard-Mourinho dynamic, which has definitely changed since their, their time together as, as manager and coach, uh, manager and player rather, at, at Chelsea. It's, uh, it's a dynamic that is very frosty, um, very um, tense. And and you could tell that Lampard himself was, like, he's always up for games, obviously, but this one clearly meant more to him than, than any other this season. The way his body language before a ball was kicked, it was almost like he wanted to play the game himself. Um, he was out there on the training drill from, from the start to the end, pacing, um, applauding every little interaction the players did, staring at the Tottenham players, um, constant words of encouragement. It was almost like he was having to do something to to cope with his nervous energy. It, in many ways, and, and that's part of the reason I wrote about it, it, it was a more fascinating aspect of the game than the game itself. A couple of questions that have come in uh, on a similar theme that I'll put to you, Dom, these via Twitter, at Matt Davis Adams, if you want to ask me a question to put to the guys on the pod at any time. Um, Matthias says, is Lampard smart for not taking risks against opponents who sit deep, or is it a sign of a manager who fears defeat more than he wants victory? After all, he has the personnel to play a lot more adventurously. Um, Andrew says, if parking the bus and waiting for one chance counts as a Mourinho masterclass, how would you describe a controlled performance where we created three huge chances? Finishing is the difference at this level. And Tammy let us down, but our approach was correct for a big game. Do you think that, that Lampard got it right on Sunday, Dom? 
Yeah, I do. I would have been disappointed had he tweaked things um, with his lineup or his formation dramatically, and he he has he has done that in the past for specific occasions. But that that four three three had been functioning so well that the players looked so comfortable in it in this in the in the previous winning run of what it was six matches, uh, games that they would expect to win. But they they really had had found some. Um, some form and they just looked a good unit. So if he had reverted to three at the back, or you know, or brought Havertz back in from the start, you know, or tweaked how the how the forward line looked from the beginning, I think it would have been disappointing. Uh, I th- I thought it was the right approach. I thought they played well. Um, I, I don't want to blame Tammy Abraham too much. I mean, yes, it would have been interesting to seen to have seen Olivier Giroud. With those opportunities uh, from the Reese James's cr- crosses, but you know Tammy Abraham is still a, a player in, in development. Almost, he, he's he, he'll get better and better, I'm sure. Um, so I, I just the whole thing again. I thought they they did really really well defensively. Bear in mind that Son and Kane hadn't been kept out in the Premier League game since September. I mean they they have scored in each Spurs game since September. So to to keep them. Both quiet was was a was a feat. I, I thought the the midfield was dominant and functioned really really well uh, with Conte sitting and I thought Kovacic was absolutely outstanding uh, up there. Amount was 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 great as well. But Kovacic is a player that we've we've wondered about this season as to where he fits in. You know, will, would he be ousted for Havertz in one of those three midfield positions? Well, well, actually, on that performance, you, you can't really drop him for the big games. He needs to be in there, and actually, that that allows Lampard to to maybe look at should Ziyech and, and Havertz maybe swap over for some of these matches. And there's, there's so many options there for Frank Lampard, but but there's a comfort and there's a there's a real belief and conviction in 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 the way this team is performing at the moment. And I wouldn't I wouldn't take too many negatives from a nil-nil draw at home to Spurs because two teams at the top of their game I thought it was a really fascinating game actually I, sort of, I actually disagree I didn't I, with with you guys in, in terms of the the, the tedium of it I, didn't, I, I, I was entranced by it I thought it was really really interesting Hey, That's I didn't awful. find it tedious. Yeah, you hated it. You absolutely hated it. You loathed it. I remember, I remember you messaging me saying, why isn't this over yet? And that was 10 minutes in. Yeah, but you went in the cold, Dom. How do you know? It was, absolutely, it was absolutely freezing. Although the the the, uh, the kiosk was open. Uh, that, that's breaking news, by the way. Uh, Chelsea have uh, opened the kiosk. I think they, they were getting warmed up for the um, for the fans coming back for Leeds. We'll talk about that later. Simon, the last thing I wanted to touch on about the game was somebody who wasn't involved in it. Dom spoke about options there. Callum Hudson-Odoi not involved in the squad whatsoever. Was there any talk of an injury or has he just, just been left out because he didn't make the cut? I think he's just been left out, which is which is going to be um, a, a real dent to his confidence after playing pretty well in, in, in the Champions League. You know, Pulisic coming back, obviously, has, has put... He was given priority, and the problem is, is with with Werner playing on the left um, at the moment. It, it, it just means that there's there's even less room for 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 Hudson Odoi. But um, no, it's going to be a big big dent to his confidence. I'm sure he'll be hoping that he he uh, he gets a chance against Sevilla. I mean, Lampard spoke very positively, as positively as as he has spoken about Hudson Odoi um, after um, the Champions League game so uh, I don't think it's completely doom and gloom but clearly being left out of such a big game is um, is not going to take that, take that too well 
just one final thing. Um, expected goals watch from the game. <laughs> Chelsea was 0.83 xG, which is not great. Um, but Tottenham was 0.19, which is wow. the second lowest that any Premier League opponent has had against Chelsea this season. The only one worse than that was um, Crystal Palace, who, of course, as we know, were crippled without Geoffrey Schlupp at Stamford Bridge. <laughs> I can't believe you well, hated that game yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, the point on Sunday leaves Chelsea third in the Premier League. Next up, back to Champions League business. We'll look ahead to Wednesday's trip to Spain after this. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. The first time I interviewed Neymar, he was 14. He was pretty much famous approaching household name status before he'd even played for the Santos first team. Barca should have been better prepared. They really did not have a contingency plan for if Neymar were to leave. You have the French president, Emmanuel Macron, calling it really good news on the day. Without selling Coutinho for that amount of money, Liverpool's recent history would be very, very different. But then again, Neymar changed the whole dynamic. I'm Adam Leventhal, and this is Beyond the Headline, Neymar, the transfer that changed the world. Over the next three episodes, we will explore Neymar's 222 million euro move from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain, a transfer that changed the game not only because it more than doubled the world transfer record, but explain how the ripple effects made it arguably the most significant transfer in the history of the game. That's Beyond the Headline, available wherever you get your podcasts or get it ad-free via the Athletic app. Matchday five in Group E of this season's Champions League sees Chelsea take on Sevilla at the Sanchez-Pijuan. As we know, the Blues booked their place in the knockout stages by winning in France last week. Sevilla also threw to the last 16 after beating Krasnodar in Russia. So these two now vying for top spot and, and theoretically an easier draw. Dom, in terms of the team news, I guess hudson Adoy watch might be the key thing from, from what we've been seeing and maybe a start for Christian Pulisic after his cameo on Sunday. Yeah, that makes sense. And Havertz, I'd imagine as well. Um, get as many of the the fringe players involved from from the start as possible. It's slightly awkward in as much as Chelsea probably do want to to win the section, so they 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 want to avoid defeat in this match. But I, I suppose, given the context of the season that they're having and the, the number of games, etc., you just got to take opportunities like this to to give fringe players runouts and. And for your overworked players, your most overworked players, just give them a bit of a breather. Simon, what's the bigger game, this on Wednesday or, or Leeds on Saturday? Good question, but I'd, I'd go with Leeds um, for the rivalry and also, um, of course, Chelsea sort of with ambitions of, I think at this early stage, we have to sort of say that they're, they're contenders for the title um, with Liverpool sort of um, not looking the force they quite were last season. I just think Leeds is the priority, but this is still a huge game for Chelsea. I mean, there's always an element of 
of luck when it comes to the Champions League draw of the last 16, but more often than not, you, you want to finish top of the group. And and, and also, it's um, Chelsea's sort of record against against the best teams so far this season. They have, I, I feel like I'm repeating myself from last week. They still haven't beaten a, a top side, and I, and I just think they need that confidence boost. It's going to be very difficult, of course, Sevilla look um, really good at Stamford Bridge, but um, I, I just think Leeds, the way they're playing right now, they're certainly not going to play with the same conservative, um, dull football that, that Tottenham uh, went with on on uh, Sunday. Interesting one, Liam. In terms of Sevilla, as Simon said, they look good at the bridge. They, they've won their last five games, but they've not been particularly impressive at home in the Champions League so far. Just just one nil against Rennes, and they were two nil down to to Krasnodar before winning three two. But but despite that, it, it could be an opportunity to to register what you might call a, a statement victory for Chelsea if they were to go there and win. Yeah, it could be, and a very important one as well because. While qualification is secured, top spot is very much in the balance. And uh, and we know from last year that if you don't finish top of your group, you can draw someone like Bayern Munich in the round of 16. Um, so Chelsea, and I think Lampard in particular, knows the value of securing top spot in Group E. Um, but it's a really delicate balance to strike in terms of rotation. I mean, there are a couple of players. You can't imagine that Timo Werner would play in this game after the amount of minutes he's played recently. Same with Ben Chilwell. Um, there are a few players in that bracket that have, have really extended themselves over the last few games. But at the same time, you, you have to try and prioritise the result as well. So I'm interested to see what Lampard does. Um, but Sevilla are a good team. And, and while their Champions League performances haven't always hit the heights, they've They've got a nice habit of scoring late goals and they're, they're clearly very resilient. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Wednesday, 8 o'clock kickoff for that one. Well, as we're getting used to, no let up in the pace of this relentless season. Chelsea back in Premier League action on Saturday night and there'll be supporters in attendance too. We'll look ahead to the game against Leeds next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Chelsea versus Leeds United, a fixture rich in history, but Saturday's game will feel extra special as it will see supporters, albeit only 2,000 inside Stamford Bridge. It'll be the first time fans have been able to witness a Chelsea game in the flesh since the 4-0 win against Everton way back on the 8th of March. Um, Dom, how significant do you think that that will be for the players? Can 2,000 fans in a, in a 40,000 stadium make a difference? Well, yeah, they can make a noise and... and... I think it will, given in the context of everything that we've, that the players and the country has gone through uh, in the last seven months, uh, nine months rather. It's slightly. I mean, I know all, all clubs up and down the, the the Premier League in particular are, are wrestling and how how to how to address this issue. It's just another 
a very political um political issue in terms of the distribution of these tickets and who actually gets to go to these matches and how much they pay etc clubs are in a very very awkward position it's not just chelsea who are like that i know that the supporters trust were particularly dismayed at the at the pricing and distribution that was proposed initially but it's i guess it's just a a reflection of, of of how difficult this arrangement is going to be when you're used to having I don't know how many season tickets Chelsea have but I imagine it's thirty thousand probably thirty thousand plus thirty four thousand maybe thirty five and 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 they've got two thousand tickets here for for home games for the foreseeable future it's it's going to be very very awkwardly awkward to distribute these out um, in a way that satisfies everybody um, but yeah just to have any kind of noise I mean there was a there was a Northern Ireland international. Over the recent window, uh, where they 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 played, I think it was their playoff actually. Yes, Slovakia. Um, yeah. Slovakia, that was it. And there were there were fans in that ground, and there were probably there were probably only about two thousand fans at that, and it did make a difference. It, it genuinely did make a difference. I, I don't quite know how I would react as a, as as a as a fan in a in a stadium like that. If you've got a forty thousand, sixty thousand stadium, and you're sort of sitting. 10 seats away or probably more 50 seats away from the next are, are you going to start singing is is that is that going to make you feel a bit awkward I, I would have thought for us though who've been to these games in this covid area they're so sterile anodyne it just feels totally barren it, it, it's going to make make people quicken their step on the way to the ground whatever their role is supporter journalist playing staff just to know that there is going to be some some other people there if nothing else yeah, I think so. I mean, I still remember the first one of these ghost games, is what I'm calling them, um, at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea-Man City, the game that decided the Premier League title. And when, when the whistle blew to start the game, I turned to the journalist who was, I say, next to me, two metres away, um, and said, this is just so strange. It felt like a, a particularly well-attended training session. You know, there was no way to tell your brain that there was... That, there was something real at stake. Um, and particularly when you've got a game like this one, the first Chelsea-Leeds game for years, you know, a rivalry that I think certain generations of Chelsea fans might not fully grasp. Uh, the presence of any kind of atmosphere from the stands just makes a huge difference. Um, and I know it, none of this is happening in, in, in a perfect way. The fact that fans are allowed into some stadiums and not others, depending on different restrictions around the country that that's obviously far less than ideal but the fact that we are getting some fans back into stadiums now is an unequivocal positive we should we should also bear in mind that from supporters point of views quite how much um, fans have missed going to their second homes I mean these there is an emotional pull obviously for any football fan with the club that they support, and even that that journey on a match day that Leah mentions there, that for for a supporter to to be able to do that again, and get into the stadium, regardless of the fact that, that, that there'll be very few people around them, that's important, and and it's psychologically important. It's it's important for, and it, it may sound flippant, but it's important for the mental health of those who are are going. I imagine. It, it, it's such a big part of modern society being able to go and watch your team. Um, and I don't think we should underestimate that because for, for those lucky few that do get to go to Stamford Bridge or or Anfield or, you know, wherever, Sellers Park, it's, it's, 
it's a major, major thing, just, just getting to that ground and being back back in a familiar place, albeit in unfamiliar, unfamiliar circumstances, but you're back home. Yeah, it's really important, isn't it? Whether it's the, the smell of fried onions yeah. or somebody on the Fulham Road shouting, hurry up, it's only a pan trying to sell you a fanzine. I went, or whatever, I went, I went down to, uh, my, my, my boy did some football coaching um, one-on-ones with a, with the coach during this lockdown period in, in a park in Dorking, right next door to Dorking Wanderers, non-league ground. It was, we went on a Saturday afternoon and they were playing at home that day behind closed doors. But you mentioned fried onions thing. For some reason... For some reason, there was a fried onions, um, sorry, a, a hamburger stall doing fried onions there as we got there. And it was it was light. You just closed your eyes. And OK, there was no noise. There was there was no hustle and bustle of footfall or whatever. But it felt you could hear the, the, the players warming up on the pitch and kicking that ball around and the smells of it all. It was it, it was so familiar and so comforting just to have that and and you know some lucky people are going to have that in the weeks ahead and and fair play and good luck to them and i don't think we should underestimate um the the positives that the chelsea and brighton players felt in pre-season when they when they had a pre-season friendly at brighton there was about two and a half thousand people there and i think the players genuinely enjoyed having having someone to play in front of um yeah it may not have been a packed stadium but it felt it felt more than two and a half thousand people would norm would normally would because there was somebody there, someone to play in front of, someone to entertain, someone to to inspire, and I, I think I think it will have an impact on on the game on Saturday. I think Chelsea players will 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 definitely want to put on a show in front of the people that that have paid good money to 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 watch them. In terms of the game itself, then, what have we made it of Leeds on their return to the top flight? Liam, I think you're probably the most likely of the four of us to be a Bielsa disciple. Would that be right? <laughs> I know. I can't say I've watched them every week, um, but what I have seen of them, they are a big bundle of fun. Um, and especially when they play the top teams, the way that Bielsa sets up, it's just such high intensity, high pressing football. Um I'm certainly expecting a completely different game from the one we just saw this weekend. Which you really uh, enjoy. And I, exactly, yeah. But there are there are shades of enjoyment, Dom. I think this will be um <laughs> it, it, this will be a lot more manic and I also think a lot more fun for, for a lot of the Chelsea players to take part in because I think a lot of Chelsea's attackers will get a bit more space. Um but certainly their their defence will be more tested as well because Leeds have consistently shown uh, that they can hurt pretty much any team in this division. And, and in Patrick Bamford, who, of course, Chelsea fans will be pretty familiar with, um, they've got someone who is banging form as well. Incredibly. It's the first time they will have met at Stamford Bridge since 2004 when Frank Lampard was in the Chelsea team that won 1-0. Simon, you, you touched on the rivalry and the fact it's something that maybe younger supporters won't be that familiar with. It, it all stems from the, the 1970 FA Cup final, right? A uh, bit bit before that, it started in the sixties with um, yeah a few a few clashes literally I think at times um, um, between the two sides. It is it's a piece I'll be actually writing about ahead of the game, um, sort of documenting perhaps for our younger for the, for our younger readers, the younger Chelsea fans that that may be a bit bemused why um, the older generation see Leeds almost and perhaps on a par with the rivalry with Spurs. It's a, it's a very heated 
um, debate whenever it's raised. But yeah, the 1970 Cup final, the most watched Cup final uh, there's ever been in 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 the UK, um, was was uh, let's put it this way: if VAR was around back then, um, the game would have been called <laughs> off because neither side would have would have probably five players each. It was uh, it was quite a an exhibition of the dark arts or, or just simply just kicking lumps out of each other. But yeah, I, I think this game on, on Saturday will be a little bit more cultured than that one was. Um, Leeds, Leeds, I think had a, a record 13 shots in the first half against Everton, uh, the most of, of any Premier League game. So it's going to be attack via, via attack, I think. And, and Chelsea, it's going to be, quite a challenge for them once again of a different variety to the one that Tottenham offered them. Yeah, really looking forward to it. 8 o'clock on Saturday, the kickoff time for that one. We will, of course, react to it in next week's show. Next today, we'll take a quick look back at a brilliant result for the youth team. Well, less than a month after losing last season's delayed FA Youth Cup final to Manchester City, Chelsea began their campaign in the 2020-21 competition on Saturday, and it was quite the start. Ed Brand's boys hammering Barnsley 8-1 at King's Meadow. The magnificently named Jude Soonsup Bell helped himself to a first-half hat-trick. He finished with four, thus becoming the first Chelsea player to score four goals in one Youth Cup tie in 59 years. Lewis Bate rounded things off with the final goal Late on, uh, Liam, you were part of the Athletics' next big thing series on Lewis Bate. Give us a bit more info about him. Yeah, so he's a he's a small, very technically gifted central midfielder. Um, you know, they're more recent comparisons to Billy Gilmore, although he's very left-footed. Is Lewis Bate, um, and also probably slightly older comparisons to someone like Josh McEachern. And uh, I mean, it's easy to forget how good he was in Chelsea's academy groups. Um, Bate has the ability to dictate a midfield um, and he does so regularly at that at that level. Um, fantastic range of passing, can score a spectacular goal or two as he did in that FA Youth Cup win. Um, but he's also got a bit of tenacity to him and he, and he can get stuck in, which I think is is important for a player of his size to, to survive in central midfield. It's something that Gilmore has as well. And we know, of course, that it's something that Jody Morris in particular um, values in, in young midfielders. So, there's a lot to be excited about with with Bate, and um, yeah, he's already had some involvement with the with the senior squad um, in training, and of course he was taken along to the to the FA Cup final last season. Um, so Bate's got a, a, a bright future, I think, if he carries on on this path, he, even if he ends up going on loan at some point next season. Yeah, Simon, you you've written about him for the Athletic. That was going to be my my next question. Do you think there's any chance he goes out on loan as early as January, or do they want to keep a, a closer eye on him in terms of his development this season? Well, it it was something um, discussed. Um, he had a few inquiries in, in the last window, um, and for one reason or another, nothing came of it. Um, it yeah, I mean, there there is the possibility, of course, um, for them to to reevaluate the situation. Um, you, you do sort of think that um, is there much of a chance for him to play for the first team like like he potentially had uh, at the back end of last season? I'm not so sure. Chelsea have got a much stronger squad now, um, much many more options. I think the next step for him is to go on loan for sure. Um, he, the way he's playing for the youth team, uh, the various youth teams, he, he does look um, a, a step up from everybody else on the pitch. Um, so the next test is can he do it at pro level and, and 
certainly speaking to, for example, an interview I did with E.K. Ugbo, there is a big difference between academy football and, and pro football. And, and I think before he gets a, a taste of of Chelsea action, perhaps it would be best for him to, to experience somewhere, uh, some games elsewhere. Just lastly, on the on the Barnsley game, Dom, I know you've seen the goals. There's some absolutely outrageous ones. It looks like another really promising crop of players coming through. Doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, Bates' shot for the eighth was amazing. The back heel for Sinsuk Bell for the sixth was was pretty sensational as well. But weirdly, my my favourite was actually the very direct goal. The second goal where, where Bates spreads the play out to the to right to the right to Livramento, who was who looked outstanding, by the way. Uh, a good Croydon boy on the right right wing there or right right back fantastic cross in and suits up Bell scored there to make it 2-0 sensational I felt sorry for Barnsley <laughs> their enthusiasm when they pulled it back to 3-1 to, to, to get the ball back so they can restart and, and allow Chelsea time to score another five goals was uh, was quite something uh, Elsewhere in Chelsea news women's team have been off for the international break men's under 23s back in action on Friday night they take on Leicester City I'll be commentating on that you can watch it via the usual Chelsea channels it's a seven o'clock kickoff right we're just about done for this week um, Simon you mentioned your piece on Frank Lampard's relationship with Jose Mourinho it was something that Alan Shearer asked Lampard about here's what he had to say I learned a great deal. I learned a great deal, particularly the first time he came to the club, because I think I was in the sweet spot. Um, and now I'm doing this job of of a player that that needed uh, a bit of direction, needed a lift, needed a. For me, it was probably a bit more of a of a self confidence boost, a feeling that I felt I could improve and go up a level. And training and tactics is one thing, but mentality is if is as much for me. And with Jose's um, demeanour when he walked through the door first time. It kind of dragged me along and dragged me upwards. Um, so I've got um, huge feelings for how he took my career. Because I'm mid twenties, mid twenties, had had a really good year the year before he came, but not an outstanding European level year. Uh, and he, you know, he he dragged me up to a level that I hadn't been at. And I think that's uh, obviously what managers have to do. They have to improve individuals. Have you got a relationship now with Jose in terms of do you ever lean on him and for for advice or or there's there's nothing there? It's, he's a manager. You're a manager. Yeah, particularly as we're managers of clubs that are rivals and, you know, across London, I think I, I sent him a message you know, when he got a job at Tottenham. He would send me messages similarly when things happen around me and my life and we always ask how each other's families are. But I think with the competitive level we are now and I know what we're both like, it's not why we uh, chat, you know, too much across the uh, uh, across clubs now. Um, but I've got no problem with him. I think we had a little bit on the line when we played in the Carabao Cup. But I think that was more just a competitive edge. And I, and I think it's natural. It feels natural to me. When I go up against people that I know I will work with, you want to beat them. That, that's that's clear. And Jose will be very honest about that. It's a fascinating relationship in terms of the way that it's developed, Simon. And you feel like it, it might change even further as the two go through their managerial careers. And, and you know, maybe Mourinho starts to wind down with an international job or, or Lampard decides that, that he's had enough. Maybe it would change again. Yeah, anything's possible, but I think I think for now, um, certainly in the short term, with with both managing rival clubs in London, both at the top of the table, it can only get more interesting for those of us watching. <laughs> Which um, it, I think it, it was so clear in the post match interview, um, post match press conference rather, when when Mourinho's comments were put to Lampard, <laughs> he wasn't impressed. It was quite funny because he sort of thought, 
these are the kind of comments that Lampard would have heard Mourinho utter um, during their time together as Chelsea manager and Chelsea player. Um, yet now he's on the receiving end. He, he doesn't seem to be quite as enamoured as he, perhaps he was as a, as a player. But I think he's also very keen to stand up to um, his former manager to prove that he's on the same footing. Meanwhile, Mourinho's doing his best to, to keep Lampard in his place almost as the as the junior man. Um, I, I just I just think this is, every time they face each other, um, it's going to be a talking point. Liam, your Chelsea quiz uh, made me very frustrated because I didn't do half as well as I thought I was going to. What else have you got up on The Athletic for subscribers to enjoy? Well, I'm going to let that torment people for a couple more days. Um, I'm also working on a piece uh, which should be up perhaps by the time this podcast is live, about uh, Chelsea struggling to score against big-name opponents this season and maybe whether there's been a, a slight change of approach from Lampard, slightly more caution in those games. Um, and later on this week, I've got a longer-term project which should be coming to fruition, um, talking to some of the boys who who played with some of Chelsea's academy players um, who are currently in the first team under Lampard. So... That's been something I've been working on for a while and I'm quite excited about. Don, we mentioned your involvement in the big Roman piece. You've also been profiling Chris Waddle. <laughs> a player that I I watched, I think it was March 1990. I, I was on a French exchange, Calas Cabrias in Aix-en-Provence, and they, they, the, the dad of the family took me to Olympique de Marseille against Lille and Waddle smashed a free kick into the top right-hand corner from about 30 yards to open the scoring. Jean-Pierre Papin then scored a hat-trick in a 4-1 win. Um, and from that moment on, really, I've just just loved everything about Chris Waddle. When he came back to England, he was sensational at Sheffield Wednesday. But just such a, a charismatic player. And, 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 yeah, I even had the... <laughs> I think it was a privilege, probably more... Definitely more so for me than for him to, to, to have played in the same football team as him in a in a press game in, in in Ukraine during Euro 2012 where he played sweeper and I've never seen somebody have so much time uh, to pick a pass in my life it was it was absolutely sensational he was just he, he was on a different level obviously to all the press guys but Stan Collimore was playing up front for us that day and he was on a very different level to Stan as well uh, just a sensational player were you better that day than you were in, no, in your ill-fated no. game? I think I might have been hooked resting. even earlier in that one. I don't think I even <laughs> made it to half-time. I, I, there's, a, there's a recurring theme here, and I should, really should learn my lesson. Remember, if you want to read these pieces and you're not yet a subscriber, our Black Friday offer runs until the 4th of December. Go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod. That's theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod and pay just £1 a month for 12 months. This offer is for new subscribers only. And many thanks to Liam, to Dom and to Simon and to producer Adonis too, mainly though to you, listener. We'll meet here again next week. For now though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.